Welcome to the Reimagining Faith podcast with the Pastors Jackson. This is a podcast for seekers, dreamers, and fellow sojourners who are trying to figure out what it means to be followers of Jesus in the 21st century. It is wonderful to be back with you, um, oh, wonderful listeners. Um, we had a couple of weeks off, not by choice, but <laughs> by uh, by virus. Uh, I got COVID uh, badly, as probably not just the worst COVID I've had, which I think this is probably my third time, um, the worst sickness I've had since I can remember. This, whatever variant we're on, is just awful. I would recommend that you stay away from it. Um, Get vaccinated. Yes, vaccinated, boosted, do all of the things you know you're supposed to do, but you're just tired of doing. Just do the things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the rest of the family got sick, except not with COVID. Y'all have been testing like every single day. Yeah. So if sinus you... infection, junk, I, yeah, awful. There's just, a lot of different things going around right now. So who knows? Just your garden variety, fall sickness. Yeah. <sighs> Exhausting though. Yeah. So if you hear some coughing from Nicole, that's that's why. She's okay. Um, just dealing with some lingering sicknesses. I'll do my best to edit out all of the easy ones, but I'm sure I'll miss a few. Sure, sure. Yeah. I wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who reached out to me after our last episode in which I shared my faith journey to now. There were a lot of folks who told me that my story resonated with them or that it helped them to hear somebody else say the things that they had thought. And it's really helpful for me to hear that. I can feel kind of lonely when you're on a spiritual journey that involves leaving hmm. one faith tradition and entering into some nondescript next <laughs> faith uh, destination. So it was uh, it was really nice to hear from you. Um, especially encouraging to be more vulnerable in public, which is also super hard yeah. and I don't always love doing. Speaking of. Speaking <laughs> of being vulnerable on the internet, it's your turn, Nicole. Great. Yay. Ray. <laughs> we get to hear some of your personal faith journey. And this is both, uh, your personal faith as well as your um, religious affiliation faith. I know those can be similar but different. And just to keep us on task and make sure that we don't just ramble the whole time, we came up with seven questions. Seven, of course, being a very biblical number. And one of the good ones, too. That we are both answering. We we wanted to make sure that we're both answering the same questions. Oh, yes, that's that's true, too. So for those of you following along at home, those questions are, what is the religion that you inherited? How long was it easy and when did it change? What stopped working? What do you still hold on to? What brought you to the UCC? How would you describe your faith right now? And why pastor a church in the United Church of Christ? Or why pastor a new church mm. in the UCC? Sorry. I think a lot of these questions are going to bleed into each other, sure. which is the point, kind of the design of the thing. But uh, let's get started. So tell us a little bit about the religion that you inherited, the the religion that you were handed as a child. 
Well, I think I would probably describe my journey as um, being a theological mutt um, of sorts. Uh, My parents um, were not super religious when I was born, uh, but my dad had grown up Catholic. And so when I was born, um, I was baptized in the Catholic Church. And um, yeah, but that was, I mean, we would go to church on special holidays. We would, uh, you know, attend Easter vigils and that kind of thing. But um, it wasn't something that was really a big part of my family's life. So um, I was born in California. Uh, my dad was in the Navy. And so when he got out of the Navy about a year and a half after I was born, we moved to Illinois. And it was during that time when uh, my parents kind of started exploring what faith is. Maybe there's this thing to church and Jesus. And so they kind of started their own their own searching. And they had a friend uh, who attended a, a, a small church in um, South Holland, uh, one of the southern suburbs of Chicago, called the Church of Christ. And um, they began to explore there. And so that is where they found their spiritual home and where I found my spiritual home for my the first mm, 20 years of my life. Uh, if you're not familiar with uh, the Church of Christ, it's very different than the United Church of Christ. Um, <laughs> One word makes a big difference. It sure does. It sure does. Um, so it's a, a pretty evangelical uh, tradition, uh, fundamentalist, uh, very committed to to the study of the Bible, to the inerrancy and uh, literal interpretation of Scripture, as if that was a possible thing. And um, if you have heard of us, you might ask me, did you all have instruments? Um, because we are very, we were known for being um, acapella singers, which no, we did not use instruments except in youth group because apparently kids can can use instruments, but not adults. And that's a theological decision, right? Yeah, I think it springs from a theological um position. Um, I've heard a couple different things. Um, one of them that uh, they didn't uh, actually, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me now either, but <laughs> they didn't really use instruments or mention instruments in the New Testament. Um, I think it was mostly because they couldn't afford a piano in their beginnings. <laughs> As a denomination. Yeah. Mm. Again, if, if I am way off base uh, friends who came up similarly, please let me know. But it became a, it became theological, right? Like Mm. it is not right to use instruments in worship. And so I grew up um, learning four part harmonies, um, sometimes more. And if you uh, sat in the pews of a congregation that could sing, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. I have lots of, of music in my heart um, that I've had since I was a little girl. And um, I do cherish uh, the the beauty that acapella music taught me. And it, it taught me how to kind of sort of read music. I never actually, I wouldn't tell you that I could read music, but it it helped me to to follow along and to to be able to you know, being choral, you know, 
choruses and, and that kind of thing. So anyway, um, it was very, a very kind of strict upbringing. Um, they were very, very uh, distinct right and wrongs, uh, very black and white truths. Again, a very deep, deep love uh, for scripture. Um, and because of that deep love for scripture, that is is what we based our whole faith upon, um, memorizing scripture and um, doing our darndest to follow every single thing that it said. Which, you know, I think it is great to have a moral standard. I think it is really good to um, have a rhythm of life, a way of being. But I do know that it, it in me, um, grew a legalism that made it really hard to see in the gray, made it really maybe even impossible to see in the gray. If if the Bible says that something is true, there's no way it could be not true. There's no way it could be kind of not true. Like it, it had to be that way. Um, and so after high school, I even um, went to a Church of Christ college. So there was just a lot of uh, flow of the same tradition in my life. So one of the other, one of the things that um, was really prominent to me um, is that I am a female. <laughs> um, I identify as a straight female. And I, because of that truth, um, I could not be a official leader mm. in, in this church. Women were... Um, Women could like teach the babies, they could teach the kids, they could maybe even volunteer with the youth group, they could lead with others, Um, you know, they could uh, be on the worship team, they could, they could participate, they could learn from the men, but they, but women had a place, right? So they, like, even looking back, it wasn't until maybe a couple years. Well, I don't know how long ago, but when I was growing up, women could not pass out communion. They couldn't pray from the pulpit. They couldn't be the leader, like unless you were like reporting from some mission trip that you took um, with a group. So um, I was super, super involved. I, I don't remember a day that I was not a part of the church, that Jesus wasn't super important to me. Um, that, you know, Jesus loves me this. I know for the Bible tells me so like that, that was always ingrained in me, but, um, but I, but being a pastor was never, ever something that was accessible to me that, that was allowed. Um, I, there's a story that, that, that has stuck with me over the years uh, when I was going to church camp. Uh, when I was in college, I grew up going to this church camp. I was baptized in, in Lake Erie. Um, it's a very, very sacred space for me, a place where I uh, encounter God in, in a very real and tangible way. But my sister had actually asked for prayers during this devotional time in the evening. And um, the the male leader um, who <laughs> was like 18. So I don't know that he knew like the ins and outs of what asking me this actually meant. But he said, hey, Nicole, would you mind praying for your sister? 
And I kind of had, I was a little like shocked and surprised, um, but I was like, sure, sure. So, so I prayed for her and um, that was that. Everything was fine. And so, um, but at the end of that night, uh, we were walking down to the lake because there were folks getting baptized. And one of the counselors, uh, one of my, one of my brothers who, who I really looked up to and who um, had known me since I was a little girl um, said, Nicole, that was, that was a really beautiful prayer. (laughs) I remember thinking, uh, thanks. Um, (laughs) I know. I guess so. And, uh, and he said, yeah, I I just can't believe that people would think that God didn't hear that. And I, and I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And he said, yeah, I mean, you're a woman. There were men around who could pray that, like there are people here that would think that God didn't hear you. And I remember at that moment, like really being like, wait a minute. Like we, we belong to a tradition that like doesn't think God hears me because I am not a male. So anyway, I I think um, there were things that were really, really beautiful um, about growing up tradition. But I think in many ways, it provided a lot of roadblocks to actually walking into the call that God had had on my life for a very, very long time. I thought the way that the way to get to that um, was to marry a pastor. So be a pastor's wife. That way you can just kind of like, you know, mm. do all the things, but not be right. Good job. The person. So, so yeah. So I Good did it. Game. And. I also became faster. So I got... You're nothing if not an overachiever. I am a bit of an overachiever, yeah. Yeah. So at at what point did you kind of feel like this uh, faith tradition that you were handed to you wasn't working and that you you started to uh, jettison parts of it? Yeah, I mean, I think think part of it was when I was in college. Um, I was living on my own. I was still in this Church of Christ bubble, right? So... Um, our worship services were all acapella. Sometimes we had musical instruments because they were a little edgy, right? So, um, so we, in my college, I think I started like exploring what it meant when I didn't have to answer to my parents or when I didn't have to answer to the church of my youth. We actually had a female campus minister towards the end of my time there, which was fascinating to me. Um, we also- the Church of Christ- College, yeah, and a female campus minister. Yes, Sarah was she Barton allowed to speak in like chapel services. Yes, yeah, yeah. So she was kind of a, a trailblazer mm. for me, somebody who I was like surprising, but like so very pleasantly surprising. And um, I had had her husband um, as one of my professors, but seeing a woman in, in leadership was, was really cool. Mm. Um, I also was a social work major and I had this professor, Sarah Reddick, uh, Dr. Sarah Reddick, who was kind of a spitfire woman. I mean, you would not guess that because she was just kind of quiet. Um, Actually, she was not quiet. <laughs> now that I'm looking back on her, like she's very prim and proper. That's what I should okay. say. Um, but she, uh, if you had her in class, you could tell that she didn't really buy into this like patriarchal thing. And 
I remember even sitting in classes and half of the class being like kind of challenging this idea that women can't do things and me being like, but what if um, a woman doesn't feel called to that? What if she does want to be quiet in the church? What if she does? And, and she really was like, I mean, looking back now, she's probably like, dear God, but mm. I, she really like challenged that. Like, what is it that is in your heart actually? Like outside of, you know, people's expectations of you and, and their limitations, like what, what is, what is that? So, um, so I think it began in college towards the end. I think I, I, I was interacting with people who were not from the Church of Christ. I mean, I, I had done that in high school, but also was like, well, you're not a real Christian um, because you were like baptized as a baby or you're not really a Christian because whatever reason. There are all kinds of reasons why people couldn't be considered, quote, a real Christian. But when I got to college and I um, was interacting with folks um, from different um traditions within the the Christian tradition. I like began asking my own questions. I still had this like judgment. I still had this like there is a right and a wrong way, but I it, it was starting to loosen a little bit. And then after college, I went to I went and lived a year in Chicago in a town in a neighborhood called Lawndale um, that was primarily African American. And um it's a program that basically takes young people and puts them into situations that are not similar to their upbringing um, and introduces them to urban ministry and to, and really, really is just an immersion into um, urban ministry. So in the city. And I think during that time I had this, this experience of like understanding the world from a perspective that I had never experienced in my life, like had never experienced or even thought police brutality existed, Mm. um, that racism was really that big of a deal or that it was even really a problem anymore. I mean, I historically knew that there was racism. I I learned the N-word for the very first time from my grandparents. Uh, And uh, yeah, so I knew I knew it was an issue, but I didn't know I didn't really know. Like I, yeah. I had no idea, um, and I didn't, I didn't really understand what life was like for people who were different than me. And I think during that time, like a child must have been killed in my neighborhood or something. And I remember like sitting with one of my mentors and being like, "How can God be real?" if this is happening, like, how can, how can I believe in a God that would allow a child, a child's life to be taken? And that, that doesn't seem like a good guide to me. That doesn't. So I think it was during that year that I started really like questioning things that I started like allowing myself to like give myself permission to, to explore the questions I might not have ever wanted to ask. I remember in college having conversation with my mom about um like what if like I know that like you know you have to be baptized in order to to go to heaven otherwise you're going to hell like I, I know all of that but what if God is more gracious than that like what 
what if God would allow other people in? <laughs> and I remember her saying at that point, Nicole, I'm really worried about you. Like, you're really starting to like question things. So like a lot of my faith was like, don't ask questions. Don't challenge the things you're taught. Don't, you know, culture and, and religion all gets mixed up together. So um, I had a very white Jesus upbringing and like grace was kind of this thing for like, I don't know. Like the things you felt guilty about, that's what grace was for. You could say, I'm sorry and be forgiven, but it wasn't ever this like invitation to grace-filled life. Like it was mm. this do the right thing, make sure you're you're living a pure life, um, big focus on purity culture, big focus on being different and separate and and therefore better. <laughs> <laughs> Than everybody else. We're not going to say we're better than everyone else, but. But I'm better. better. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that that process of, of beginning to kind of deconstruct the things that I had been taught, that was like a really painful journey and one that I think I'm always going to be doing. Um, but I, it was during that time that things started to shift. And um, when I eventually went to seminary, like there were. There were moments where I would write a paper and end up sobbing in my systematic theology mm. professor's class because he would, the the professor, um, like the it was like their job to kind of like poke and prod, not not to make you mad, but to to get you to think, right? <laughs> to like just a, a side benefit. Yes, yes, I love Dr. Brash. I'm so very very thankful for the ministry of his is his teaching. He he was both a um, demanding professor who was also a pastor and wrestling with theological concepts felt like shaking my faith entirely. Like yeah. if, I, if this isn't true, then am I no longer a Christian? Like it was all this kind of very fear-based, like yeah. in and out, right and wrong, like very confusing, had a really low self-esteem. And I, th I think that's pretty understandable if you're never living up to this, you know, standard, um, if you can never quite reach it, yeah. if you keep failing, like, but I love pleasing people. Oh, yeah. Um, I love <laughs> being, uh, right. <laughs> I love being in control and I love being, I love it when people are proud of me. And so I, I play the role very, very well. Yeah. So is there anything that you hold on to still from that, uh, the faith that you were handed? Yeah, I think um, I still have a very, very, very deep love of the scriptures. Um, I interpret it very differently now and I wrestle with it a lot more than just kind of say like, oh yeah, like that's, that's fine. That's fine. It's fine that, you know, this is being used to like continue in an in, in equal society. Um, but I, I still think, especially the Jesus that I find in those scriptures um, is so compelling, um, is so radically generous and hospitable and um, freeing. Uh, 
Yeah. So I think my upbringing really, really like I probably, you know, it, it would be easy for me to participate in a Bible trivia game um, because, you know, I that was such a value. That was such, such something that was held in such high regard that I know it in my spirit. And so I'm really, really, really grateful for that. I'm also um, really grateful for the acapella worship. I Music is a huge part of my spirituality, always has been. Um, and even though I like instruments too, even though I like contemporary worship that uh, you might not find in a hymnal, spirituality and music was always very much connected. And so I, I carry that with me a lot as well as, as well as a commitment to personal piety. I think um, it looks very different Mm. than it did, but I think what is faith if it is not embodied? Um, If, if I believe something I should very well be living accordingly. Um, and this commitment to personal discipleship, a commitment to, to always growing and to always learning, um, with a bit more grace, um, than what I had inherited. But I, I do hold those very valuable. You mentioned that your, your religion started to show cracks and started to, it, it didn't quite fit you anymore. Where as you started following your call to ministry mm. and definitely found the edges of what your religion allowed. Right. You mentioned just briefly your faith having a similar kind of boundary touching moment in systematic theology. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to make sure we draw a distinction between those two. The religion is the the scaffolding of your faith. Right. Your faith is is your personal connection to God, your belief system, all of that is is personal to you, is related to but separate from one's uh one's religion. Yeah, and and I think so as a child like I was kind of taught like this is the one true church, right? So this is this is the one way of doing it. And that is religion. That is how you live into your your faith. Um, when that no longer was the thing, I think my faith began to to expand, and it began to make room for the spirit. Like so, you would say, as your connection to that to your religious tradition faded. Mm-hmm. your faith expanded as opposed to your faith crumbling. It didn't feel like it when it was happening. I think, <laughs> uh, you know, like we, we look, we, we talk about things in, in retrospective as if it happened in like a day or something. Right. Yeah, so, that's true. <laughs> so that this was like a, gosh, I started, I did mission year in 2006, 2007, and I graduated from seminary in 2012. So that was like a pretty big chunk of my young adult life, right? Um, a, a pretty big chunk. And and I think it was a, it was much more of a journey than it was some kind of straight line. Like there, 
there were things that I was wrestling with. There were, it wasn't something that happened quickly for me. Um, and I think even now, you know, it's 2022 and there are still times when I discount my voice as a female, um, just because I was taught to do so. Right. But it, it, it was something that, that happened over time and that is still continuing to happen. And I think that's a, that's really how the life of faith is, right? Like if you're not growing, if you're not, then you are just kind of stuck in the beliefs. Like I, I feel like God is, is always revealing something new, some new facet of what it means to be a follower of Jesus even though like his ministry is like three years, right? So um, it feels like that would be, <laughs> that it would be simple, but I don't know. Jesus is pretty cool. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just a good example that we all deconstruct differently. Yes. My story last time was about just a total abandonment of it and needing yes. to walk away entirely and tearing the whole thing down and yours, it has always sounded a little bit more like um, a faith that is tethered to the ground, like the Macy's balloons <laughs> on Thanksgiving. And your faith journey is more about cutting those, cutting those tethers, and mm. then soaring. Interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like I kept holding on to Jesus. Yeah. Um, and and just continue to be so compelled by his his teachings and his ministry and the ways that he showed up in the world and this idea of the incarnation of of God taking on skin and living among us like that is just just the most beautiful the beautiful expression the most beautiful expression of of God's love for us but there was like the the like every time. Every time there was like a stumbling block, every time there was some kind of like push and pull, there was always like a community, a, a, a community that was there to like walk with me. Even if like I wouldn't necessarily be connected to those anymore. Community, that was the other, the other thing I would say from my upbringing that you, you need community. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you need people to do this life of faith with. Um, and that has always been the case um, and continues to be the case today um, that we interpret scripture together, that we um, serve together, that we learn together, um, that we're way better together than we are alone. And so I, I see that as one of God's biggest graces is that each step of my journey, I had a community around me. So it was never alone. Mm. Um, I was never alone to explore these things and super grateful uh, for those teachers, for those companions, for those people who who taught me both gently and not so gently um, mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah, I, I, I see, I, I, I've often been able to see God's hand retrospectively much more than in the present. And that helps me to be more, helps me to believe it Hmm. in those moments when I feel alone. So how'd you find your way into the UCC? (laughs) So I remember, I remember vaguely learning about the UCC that they were this 
I actually think I went to a UCC church once and it was very traditional in style, um, but the messaging was always a little bit more progressive than I was used to hearing. And it wasn't really until seminary till I actually really met someone from that tradition, a female pastor, which was wonderful. Um, and she was my Old Testament professor, uh, Reverend Deb Winters, which is actually where Zach and I began dating. Um, yes. She's sharing. responsible for a very, for a lot of our life, um, a lot of our life transitions. We are very, very grateful. That's right. She got, we fell in love in her Old Testament class, mm -hmm. sharing raisinets. Amen. She connected me to Community UCC, yep. where my first call. She got me connected with the Science Initiative at mm -hmm. Palmer. And uh, I've told her in the past, if you even get a little bit of an inkling of the <laughs> spirit that you're supposed to share something with us, do it, yeah. please. Exactly. Because exactly. you're our fairy godmother. Yes. Yes. I don't know that she would appreciate fairy godmother, but um, anyway. <laughs> I think she'd laugh. Yeah. We love you. Anyway. Yeah. So I think I had always been curious about the UCC, but I didn't really know anything about it until, yeah, until uh, until Deb asked Zach to guest preach after he, was it after seminary? Um, right right after. after. Yeah. Because it was July. And we started learning about it and we're like, wow, this is amazing. Like these people are so radical. Like they are super inclusive and they care about social justice. And this is amazing and wonderful. So I think was drawn initially to the ideals um, of the United Church of Christ, um, of the, the capital C United Church of Christ, like the mm -hmm. national yeah. The national church. Um, I, I slowly began began to understand that like the ideals of the United Church of Christ are not necessarily the ideals of the local church in the United Church of Christ. Um which has been a point of contention since the UCC was yes. formed in the fifties. Yes, yes. So so the national church tends to be a lot more liberal, a lot more progressive, whereas the local church is all contextual. Um, and we have a polity that values both covenantal relationships. We belong together, uh, but we also want to respect and honor your own autonomy, your own um, capacity to basically translate this to your context. And so um, here in Pennsylvania, that that tends to have a bit more um, of a reserved way of, of being the church. Whereas if you went to like LA, it would probably be a lot more progressive. And, but, but anyway, I, I, I was very much attracted to the ideals of the United Church of Christ, of, of a community that was, um, of a denomination that was open and affirming of the LGBTQ community yeah. um, that was committed to things like racial justice, that was committed to things like being the church um, in the here and now. So that's how I initially found it. I, I, I guess I married into it because um, by the time <laughs> that uh, we graduated seminary and I had, I had been a part of many different denominations um, and, and found beauty in all of them, but never felt like it quite fit. Um, 
when you became a pastor, because I was a chaplain, uh, I thought chaplaincy was kind of my my career, my vocational path. Um, ministry of presence is really, really important to me, and and um, I connect with with Jesus a lot with that. But once you became a pastor in the UCC and I, I began learning and and I began exploring, you know, ordination um, because in order to be a professional chaplain, you need to be ordained. And so, um, yeah, it was really coincidence, um, which I don't really necessarily believe in coincidence, but I can it, tell by the way you said coincidence. Yeah, it, it, it was it, it was very much in line with the rest of my story. Like it was the next right thing. It was the next decision that I had to make. And, um, and overall, I would say that the UCC is a fantastic home for me, which doesn't mean that I am on board with everything that I don't see, you know, the things that, that still need to be reformed, the still, still that need to, to take a look at things, but I think overall, it's a group that I feel home with. Yeah, and you're a part of the uh, <clears throat> NGLI, right? The Next Generation Leadership Initiative. Yes, I am. Right, <laughs> which you'll be going away to Chicago tomorrow. Tomorrow, and we'll be away all weekend. So you're a part of what the denomination sees as the future of the denominational. Uh, at least the leadership of the denomination. Um, hmm. So people like you, <laughs> theological mutts who have been around hmm. and are not as as committed to sustaining what was and are interested in bringing together groups of people and rediscovering the uniting and united part of our yeah. historical mission that we were really big on in the 50s and early 60s and then kind of got stuck on afterwards. Yeah. I the the thing that keeps going in my head is uh the song Satisfied from Hamilton. Like <laughs> I will never be satisfied. Maybe more like Angelica than like um Hamilton, but whatever. I feel like the cohort that I'm a part of in NGLI, it's very diverse, like very, very diverse. And I would say that we all come with very different walks of life, uh, ways of understanding spirituality. But the thing that is common is, is this wanting to live more authentically into our faith and to lead people into embodying their faith now. I mean, a, a lot of us have served in the traditional church and feel very unsettled um, because we're we're noticing where we've lost our way. We've in, and and that doesn't mean that the traditional church is bad or that it's not relevant at all. Um, it's just I think we were chosen because we want we want to discern together what is next. What is what is now, but also what is next and, and where is the church going? So yeah, it, it's exciting and um, it feels really 
powerful to be in this program right now, like as we're starting this church, as, you know, like being able to take the things that we're thinking about and talking about and putting them into practice now, um, thinking more critically about things. And um, yeah, it's been really good. And it gives me hope for the the future of the church too, um, because my colleagues are just some fantastic people who who really love Jesus, uh, but also really love humanity uh, mm. and and want to want to always be growing, want to always be better. So you're thinking a lot about what's next for the church in general, in broad terms. Um, but you decided to take a step of faith and start a new church, <laughs> um, which many people would say is bonkers. Um, why is it bonkers? That's my question. <laughs> why, why do this? I believe in the church. I really do. I, like I mentioned earlier, I went into, I graduated from seminary and immediately went into chaplaincy. So I served in two different hospital settings um, and as a hospice chaplain. And that work was very, very meaningful and very, very beautiful. Um, seeing the face of Jesus, especially in grief, in times of trauma and terror and being able to walk with people um, has always been and continues to be a big part of who I am and and what I bring to the pastorate. But I, there was a moment during my ordination um, ceremony. For those of you who aren't familiar, ordination is when you officially become reverend, when the church uh, agrees with you and with God that that God has called you to to this thing. Always at the ordination service, the, the, the newly ordained person um, presides over communion and offers the, the bread and the wine or the juice or whatever elements you're using to and, 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 and looks you in the eye and says, this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. Um, and this is for you. This isn't just for everybody else. This is also for you. It is for everybody else, but it is for you especially. And being able to look into people's eyes and say that, it is just, it gets me every time. It's one of the reasons why I love that we take communion every week at Open Table. But That was a deal breaker for you when mm-hmm. we were talking about planting a church? Yeah. 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 And, you know, I grew up taking communion every week. So like communion has always been special, but I think especially as a pastor, like it all comes down to that table, being able to look into another, another peop- person's eyes and, and, and share with them this, this gift. So anyway, I think during that time, as I was discerning, like what, what does God actually want me to do? Like, I love this ministry of chaplaincy, but my heart is with the church. It always has been. Um, there's, I've always found beauty and I've always found the church, like in my ideals, the church changes the world. Like the church is this place, is this people, is this way of, of, of this rhythm of equipping and empowering people to change the world because of their love of Jesus, because of their commitment to following that way. 
And so um, I just, I, I, I served in the, in the traditional church for, for the past four years and I, and I loved it and I loved the people I was doing it with. And I just, I wanted to go in like head first. Like I, I wanted to make the mission of Jesus Christ to be a liberator, to be a lover, to be a unifier, to be to be an invitation at the forefront. Um, I didn't want, I wanted to see what what does it look like to be the church with all of that stuff stripped away, with no buildings, no... Um, traditions no um this is how we've always done it uh this is you know a church that that can say racism is a sin and it's a disease and it needs to be faced head on um a, a faith community that very loudly and publicly says that that God very much loves and embraces and accepts and invites and values and loves the LGBTQ community. And so do we, therefore. Like, therefore, that is something that is going to be one of our values. And like a church that is is so committed to what's happening outside their doors that that's what inside the doors is about. Like, that's what, like... I wanted to just do it. And I didn't want to have to kind of figure out how to maintain and also be on mission, um, which was a really hard decision because the church I was with was fabulous. I loved the people there and I still love and miss and cherish um, those folks. Uh, they helped me learn how to be a pastor. But I, I think... It was time, you know, we're, we're in this like COVID kind of just brought all of reality into reality. Like the things that we hadn't dealt with were now right in our face. And I, I wanted to respond. I wanted to actually be the church in the here and now and not have to figure out how to convince people to do that. And so, yeah, that's, that's why we started talking about it. You know, like it's really hard to focus on what's in front of you if you're really focused on maintaining what has always been. Um, it was painful. It's still a little painful because even though I know it wasn't like divorcing the church, it felt like I was breaking up with the church and gonna get another boyfriend or something like but I think it's really just, I, I guess we would maybe use the, the terminology like being coming missionaries, like hmm. going into the unknown, even if the unknown is right in front of us. Like, Yeah, that it's not like <clears throat> we were disgruntled cooks at a restaurant <laughs> right. who decided to just go start our own restaurant a couple doors down that sells the exact same thing. But rather, you know, we were cooks in a restaurant who recognized that there's a lot of patrons here that are being served and that they love it. And this is a great place still in the community. But man, there are a lot of people who will not step foot in this restaurant who need to be fed 
and uh, we think would really appreciate this particular type of restaurant that we can accomplish. And so we're going to leave this historic restaurant in good hands and we're going to go follow God and out there and making this other thing that hmm. serves a different purpose than the thing that we left. Not a competing purpose, a different purpose. Right. So we're, we're two arms of, in one body. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it has more weight than food. So that's the heart, you know, like I, I think um, I can see why it feels like competition, right? Like, why can't you just do this thing here? Like, why, why can't you just start a new ministry in, in the church? Um, and I, I think we're, tr- we're trying to follow Jesus and we're, we're trying to follow what this next thing is. Um, and we haven't quite figured it out yet, right? I mean, we're two months in. So. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, we're, we're gathering and, and we're conspiring and we are visioning and we are figuring out what it is specifically that God is calling us to do in Pottstown um, and in this time and place. But it's a, it's a process. And so reimagining faith doesn't necessarily mean we have the answers. It's, you know, continuing to come to the table and listen. Yeah. Being conversation with our own faith, mm-hmm. with our own God, with our own tradition. Yeah. How do you feel? having just poured out your heart? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There are parts that I really like sharing. There are parts that are really difficult, right? So um, it felt like, and still continues to feel sometimes like leaving the traditions of my past is like leaving my family. Mm. It's leaving a part of me behind. It's, you know, it's, it can be really lonely um, to to enter into actual conversation with yourself, like it to actually acknowledge what is happening on the inside, and not just going through the motions and doing the things, right? So that like deconstruction um, is a word that kind of like a buzzword right now, um, and can mean a lot of different things. But there's a lot of loss that comes in deconstruction because you when you start asking the questions, when you start challenging, when you start um, maybe saying, no, I'm not just going to like believe that, especially when you don't have anything to replace it with yet. Oh yeah. Um, it can be really scary. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I would say that I always, that, that I always had a sense that God was, was, was leading this path, but there were definitely times where it was like, am I not hearing God? Has God left me? Like this place feels really scary. So yeah, I think when you ask me what I'm passionate about, I probably could talk very, very confidently. But it when you, when we ask questions about the experience of those changes, um, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. And you know, I don't, I don't want to paint people in a bad picture. I don't want to um, paint my childhood church in a negative way either. Um, 
I want to paint it in the way that I experienced it, but acknowledge that that's not everybody's experience either. So when you tell your story, you're often telling other stories. And so that that's also scary. Yeah. And you've been really cognizant during this conversation as well as in the past to not paint him negatively Hmm. um, because understanding that the people responsible for those parts of your life would potentially be hurt by Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, And that's true for any of any one of us who wants to own our story and tell our story. If there's a part of us that we grew out of that no longer fits, oftentimes the people who still dwell there or the people who brought us there or nurtured us there feel like they made some kind of mistake. Right. You know, I can't, I can't talk about my, my depression without my, my mother feeling like it was her fault, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is totally not, right. it's totally not. And can't talk about my, my experience with my wacko Pentecostal schooling and the awful theology they taught me without my parents feeling like that's their fault. There's, but they were doing the best they could. Yeah. And we don't often talk about how parents are still growing up yeah. while their kids are growing up. Yeah. And that growing out of something doesn't make the thing you grew out of bad. Yeah. It just means it no longer fits you. Right. And right. There's levels of good. Right. What is the phrase? We used before the transcendent include. Mm, yeah. Which is why we're intentional with these questions about asking what you still retain, what still matters to you. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big um shame person. Um ah. I often don't jump to uh <laughs> like I I often jump to I did something bad, therefore I am bad. Um and so I think I think it's really helpful to ask the questions, what do you still find value in and what did you leave? Because it's both and, and there's a a bit more gray, right? Like I probably would not be a member of the church that I, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a member of the church that I grew up in um, because they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't acknowledge even my ordination, like my, my call to ministry. But some of my best memories are from going to church camp with that church of of being in youth group of of doing these things and even like the school that you you went to like some of your best friends are people you met there. Yeah. Um so I think I think it's really helpful to do that because it stops us from thinking in these black and white terms and and allowing ourselves to still find value, even if it's not where we are. Yeah. And then the thing that we create out of that is not just a reaction against the thing that we came from. Exactly. So the thing that we create has its own roots Yep. and its roots are not based in the thing we're reacting against. Because when your roots are based in the thing you're reacting against, when that thing you're reacting against changes or goes away or people don't have the context for it anymore, then it has nothing to stand on, no. right? It's the emerging church that was grew in reaction to the evangelicals. And then what was it? It was yeah. nothing. Right? Yeah. We talked in a previous episode about how the concept of whiteness emerged as a reaction to 
uh, blackness. Hmm. And so whiteness itself doesn't have an identity. And <laughs> white folks in America struggle with any kind of identity because whiteness exists as a reaction against something else. And so it's just, it's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and... Uh, yeah, I really want to build. Like, I, I really... I feel like so much of my young adult life has been like tearing down toxicity and just asking the right questions. Um, and I think like the the buzzword of deconstruction, like it it leaves us wanting. It doesn't if if you just stop at the deconstruction, like then there's nothing left. But if you allow yourself into that process and then say, then what? And you start saying, what are you calling us to God? Like you called us away from something, which is important and just so important. But like, what is on the other side? If not that, then what? Like if, if this is not the way, what is, what is the way forward? Um, and not in a black and white thing again. Um, you know, when we, even when we talk about music, like we're not saying hymns are no longer valid because they have old tunes. Like I love me some hymns. Um, we're not throwing them out, but we're not saying that's the only thing. Um, we're not, you know, I think, I think it's really, I want to build something. Like I, I want to, I want to see what God is up to and I want to be a part of that. I want to help build and not just always be talking about what we're not for or what we're against or, or what we're leaving behind. Like what, what, what new thing is God up to and how can we join that? Like that's so much more compelling than hating everything. Yeah. <laughs> and how can folks join us? Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, what new friends can we bring along the way? Like, maybe the person who's listening to this podcast right now who <laughs> wants to join us on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at Steel River Playhouse or on our website or on our YouTube page. I feel like there needs to be a jingle after that. We don't have a jingle. We don't have a jingle. I haven't written a jingle yet. Mm. If any of our listeners want to write us a jingle, I won't, I won't complain. Please, please. Please, please. But seriously. Um, we would love to see you. We'd love to meet you. Yeah. Um, we would love to make this a two-way relationship and not just a one-way. We want to hear your story. We want to hear the ways that God are, God is showing up in the different corners. Yeah. And let you be a, a dreamer in reimagining this church. Get in on the ground floor before we have any traditions that we need to preserve. <laughs> <laughs> Traditions are not bad. Um, that is something that I, I, you know, traditions are really good. They help ground us. It's when they become the thing that it's problematic. So come create new traditions with us. There you go. And celebrate old ones. And celebrate old ones. But not all of the old ones. Yeah, we don't have to do all of them. Only the ones that work. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Nicole, for being so vulnerable here. I know that wasn't easy and you made it most of the way without coughing too much. I did. I did. Thanks for, thanks for hearing from me. <laughs>